Hello, friend. Welcome back to the Book Truck Chronicles. My name is Brandy, and my passion is for books and people who love books. I run Daisy Chain Book Company, a bookshop on wheels in Edmonton, and I am attempting to eliminate sugar from my diet. Wish me luck. This podcast is about books, our wildly diverse reading lives, and the people I meet on my book truck journey. So today, something awesome is happening right now. I have the house to myself. Okay, so some of you can understand why this is a really, really big deal for me. There's always something going on in my house. My husband works at home. I work at home. My young daughter, she comes and goes from the house at weird hours. So there never feels like it's just quiet. But right now, it's quiet. Uh, Does that ever happen for you? Where you just sit back and realize you're the only one in the house and just really enjoy it. So yes, that's what I'm doing right now. And I thought, what better time to talk to you? And today I thought what I would do is talk about something that is a little bit out of our adult reading life. One of the most active areas in my book truck is the mid-grade 8 to 12 preteen section. So for all of us adult readers, we can remember being this age and how the wonder and magic we found between pages of books had that remarkable power to transport us, to welcome us into new worlds, and change what we thought was possible. So while that holds significant marvel for young readers, you know what? It's also what I call sorbet reading. Sorbet is a palate cleanser, and when I've been reading some really challenging, heavy, or depressing adult books, sometimes they're disappointing adult books, can I get an amen? Sorbet books are necessary because when you hit a reading slump and you just can't be motivated to read one more predictable book or be disappointed by another overhyped bestseller, you know what I'm talking about. I love knowing that if I dip into a Roald Dahl or a Brandon Mull title, I can once again discover the magic and otherworldliness of my younger self. So today I want to give you some sorbet titles, some palate cleansers that can remind you that books are magical and the depth of stories and character engagement for young readers are just as multi-layered and special as anything you find for adults, maybe more so. All right, so I'm going to dip into the backlist a little bit here and pull out some titles that maybe some of you haven't heard. Some of you might be very familiar with others, but this gives you just a little bit of insight into um, my younger Brandy. So one of the books that I have here is called No Promises in the Wind by Irene Hunt. So this is a book from 1971. It is no longer in print, and if you can find it hidden in the dark corner of any used bookstore, grab it. I got it in my stocking when I was about 11, and I read it in one day. Kleenex in one hand and hot chocolate in the other. This is the story of Josh. He's a young boy who is desperate to find a way to survive during the Great Depression. Uh, he travels the country looking for food, community, Just he just wants to survive. He protects his little brother and overcomes some really incredible obstacles as he discovers more about himself and the reality of the world around him. It's beautifully written. It's heartbreaking. It makes the depression area seem more personal and understood to my young self. And some books just stick with you. This one certainly did. I have not read it recently, so I don't know if it would have that same impact, but I know that it did, and I can count on Irene Hunt being one of those amazing authors that I discovered when I was young. 
She has written a number of other titles, not all equally as memorable, but all written with a passion for sharing the human condition through the experiences of children in unfortunate circumstances. Because, you know, kids do not have to always be sheltered. Life is hard and they go through some beautiful things on their own. So that was awesome. All right. Another book that I read when I was younger isn't actually... It's not actually a mid-grade novel. It's an adult novel, but I certainly read it when I was younger because if any of you know me, you know I was not reading age-appropriate books when I was young. So, Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes. It's one of those precious gems of a book that many know about. They revere it. They talk about it. They have pressed it into the hands of many, but it does not demand the flash and the grandeur of so many bestsellers. Where it is not categorized as a mid-grade novel exactly, I think I read it when I was 12 years old. This is the book about Charlie. It's written as chronological reports as he documents his scientific experimentation as the focus of a medical study to hopefully correct his mental deficiency. He is a simple man who sees the world and the people within it through a literal and curious lens, but because he can't engage with them at their level, he feels separate and inferior. He longs to be just like everyone else, so he undergoes an experimental surgery and becomes fond of Algernon, a white mouse that has also undergone the surgery. Was I too young to read this? I don't know. Many parents who are determined to keep their kids reading only within their age category would probably think so. But this book opened up a world of possibility and humanity for me that I had not yet considered. So anyone who I've talked to who's read this book agrees it is certainly not one to miss, but it is up to you, moms and dads, what age you give this to your kids. Uh, okay, let's see. My next one is I Am David by Anne Holm. So this is another one that is not a light, easy, breezy read. Um, David is a 12-year-old boy who escapes a concentration camp during World War II. Um, David was the same age as I was, and I've always remembered him as a much older child or a young adult in how the story is written and the experiences that he has. I guess I never really thought that he was my age, but he was. He was 12. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be raised in a concentration camp and then escape it only to explore the world outside for the very first time. He comes across as a timid child who can behave like a brave hero under extreme circumstances. I admired him and I loved seeing the world through his eyes. This was not a light fluffy tale like so many mid-grade books nowadays. <sighs> and as an adult, I can appreciate that books are available for young readers who are not expected to be dumb and incapable of deep, powerful stories about real dilemmas. It's okay to trust kids with some really, really meaningful stories. Sometimes they are craving it, y'all. They really, really are. They can only get so much of the wimpy kids. You know, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so the next one, <sighs> okay, this one, Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. Okay, so for those of you who are familiar with this book, you can see now that my reading as a young girl was full of deep emotional stories about kids who were nothing like me. Where the Red Fern Grows is another epic tale published in 1961, I think, about a young boy and his hunting dogs in the Ozark Mountains. My heart will always be with old Dan, little Anne, the coon hens that Billy doted on, in a way that only a young boy and his dogs can love each other. And when I first read it, I wanted my own pup so bad. And I felt all the love that Billy and his pups had for each other. This was an unforgettable tale of determination, hope, and adventure. 
And anyone I've talked to about it, well, they seem to grab their chest to make that, oh, I'm going to cry face, because if you don't shed a tear while you're reading this book, check your pulse. Okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit for this one. Let's talk about the Sweet Valley High series by Francine Pascal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So while the previous books I mentioned are kind of emotionally rich stories of adventure and hope, this series of preteen drama is anything but. I was first given Double Love, the first in the series, about Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield, twin teenagers who engage in all manner of teen drama and angst, boyfriends, friend betrayal, self-image, and of course the expected jock cheerleader romantic entanglements. Jessica was the rebel, risk-aversive twin. She pushed limits and got in trouble. Elizabeth was the good girl, with a dedicated boyfriend named Todd, and someone that rescued Jessica when she got in over her head. Because you know, that Jessica was always getting in over her head. This series also progressed to stories of kidnapping, danger, thrills, and heartbreak, all wrapped up in a beautiful town with shiny, happy people. It was like my own little soap opera, harmless and fluffy, and I totally loved it. Francine Pascal was very much the quintessential teen author during the 80s, and every time I opened one of her books, I knew I was going to slip away into the world of Sweet Valley, where I could count on saying no to homework and chores, and yes to all the teen drama I could get. Now, I would love to know what books you read when you were younger. Which ones left an impression on you? Which ones do you remember fondly and you would definitely go back to now as a sorbet book? Uh, what kinds of things intrigued you? Was it the same kind of really trendy, fluffy stuff that is out now? Or did you go for something that was a little deeper, a little emotional? And I was pretty much drawn to anything. I read whatever I could get my hands on, and I was never sorry. I read everything from V.C. Andrews to Sweet Valley High to Sweet Dreams Romance to Nancy Drew and Adventure Stories, and oh my gosh, I even threw in some Harlequin and some Silhouette. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'm not sorry. I didn't know what I was reading all the time, but I just read whatever I could get my hands on. So that was definitely my experience. And, you know, I think it's okay for kids to read anything that grabs them because at least they're reading. One of the worst things that we can do for kids is tell them what they have to read because it's so, so acceptable that we don't want anything else to get into their precious little brains. They do not totally understand everything, but there's so much more in all these stories than those few dark things that we're worried about them having access to. I'm thinking of very well-known authors like Neil Gaiman and Stephen King, who were very public about the wide variety of titles they read as young boys. And I think it was Neil Gaiman who said that he read every book in the children's library until the librarian gave him permission to move on to the next section in the adult area of the library where he could explore a whole different kind of book. And that really opened him up to creative thinking and all sorts of challenges and his imagination was just set on fire and he has done pretty well for himself as an author because he just let his imagination go. When kids have an opportunity to read something, maybe they want to read sci-fi or Dickens or who knows what. I think it's really, really important to ask them what they like because you never know what this child could become. And that book that you put into their hands or you inspire them to read could set them on a path to becoming something more remarkable than they already are. 
I hear from so many parents and grandparents in the book truck that they really want to inspire their young boys to read more. And there are so many great books for boys. There really are. But if we only tell them, here's Hardy Boys and here's Diary of a Wimpy Kid and this is all you can do because we think this is your potential, that's as far as they're going to go. Nothing wrong with those two books. I mean, they're just fine. But there is a whole library full of titles and options for them. Once you tap into who they are, then you can tap into more of what they will like. There is a richness in some stories out there that I think kids would definitely miss if we didn't let them have access to it. Harry Potter was supposed to be an adult book, from my understanding, so can you imagine going through your young life and not having read Harry Potter? Okay, that's that's just an absolute must! So when they come into my truck and they head right to their age group, I will always talk to them and ask them, what do you like to read? What really grabs you? What was the last great book you read? Tell me about the things that really melt your butter. And they open up and sometimes they're able to go to a YA novel or sometimes they can go to an adult book because not all YA and adult books are full of smut and language and adventure and whatever. Some kids can handle this stuff. Not that I'm saying give kids smut and sex and language and all that stuff. I'm just saying, by all means, open up the world to them because there's a lot of things they can read that maybe they haven't thought of before. And now it's time to roll on up to the business bar where I sit down, grab a drink, and talk about the business side of book truck life. And today I am drinking a strawberry black tea with no milk and no sugar. Okay, so in the business bar today, we are going to talk about fees and the cost of doing business. So one of the things that I get asked quite often is, how much does it cost for you to actually do this thing anyway? So I'm not going to break down all of the fees for you because that would be, well, that's a lot of math. And, you know, if you know me, I don't like to do a lot of math. So I'm just going to give you some guidelines. Whenever I park the truck somewhere, I have to pay for the privilege to be there and do business. Everybody seems to want to have a little piece of the pie. So here are just some of the costs when I attend any event, whether it's a market, a music festival, there's all sorts of fees, but here are some of them. There is business license. There is insurance, gas, inventory management software costs, uh, web or e-commerce hosting fees, vendor fees for an event, Hawker peddler permits for the town, county, or city in which you are in. The cost of the books if you're buying them new. The cost of a POS system so you can actually sell your books. The cost of any bags or promo materials that you use. And please keep in mind that this is not an exhaustive list. There are an awful lot of behind the scenes costs that go into every small business owner at any event you attend. You guys, none of this stuff is is free. It's, it's not like in the old days where somebody could just roll their wagon up to the little town they're in and people could just take books and that was it. It's very different nowadays. So when you go anywhere, there is a fee to do this job. And just like in any other business, this is what I call my real estate cost. So I don't have a brick and mortar location. I don't pay a monthly rental fee. But what I do do is I pay for all the little fees to go anywhere. So when I have a book that costs, let's say, $5.99, and somebody tells me, you know, I could get that book for 99 cents, I say, then why don't you? By all means, go there and get that book for 99 cents. Because for me, I have a lot of costs to do this. And all of that has to go into the cost of that book. 
So it is not free to do this work. And I still want to make sure that you are getting the best books at the best price. But that means it's going to cost me something. Running a book truck is not just about books. It is a business. And if you go back and listen to previous podcast episodes, like chapter six, in which I talked to Kate from Go Go Books, or chapter nine, in which I talked to Hillary from Iron Dog Books, you can see that there is an awful lot of cost and risk involved in this kind of business. So I really do appreciate all of your questions about what being an entrepreneur in this unique business is like. And I hope that in the business bar part of the podcast, I am able to answer your questions well. Please keep them coming. Send me all your questions. You can email me anytime at brandy, B-R-A-N-D-I, at daisychainbook.co. Search Daisy Chain Book Company on all the socials and send me a DM. You may hear me answer your question right here. Today's chapter of the Book Truck Chronicles has been brought to you by all of those who say, nah, I won't read the book. I'll wait for the movie. In the company of dedicated readers, you have no idea what type of battle you have just begun. Until next time, happy reading! And if you go back and listen to previous podcast episodes, like chapter 6, in which I talked to Kate from Go Go Books, or chapter 9, in which I talked to Hillary from Iron Dog Books, and keep in mind that with any small business, the price is scalable. So if somebody is selling handmade soap and that soap is 11 or $12 a bar and you think, oh, are you kidding me? I could go to the local drugstore and get six bars for 10 bucks. Okay, but keep in mind that that person has custom made that particular bar of soap with their own precious little hands. They have wrapped it with their own materials that they have specifically chosen for you. And when you are buying it from them, you are looking into the eyes of the person who created it. Their cost to do that and to be there to offer that soap to you is is substantial sometimes. So you might pay more for that personal, unique soap experience. It's the same for books. I don't sell books at a garage sale, y'all. It is a book truck. It, there's something to pay for that. Of course, you're, you're smart. You know that. And one of the beautiful things about the support local trend is that we are supporting people who are using their time and their skills and their passions to bring you something unique in their own way. There's a cost for them to do that. And so of course they're gonna translate that cost to you when you buy it. But when you pay that person who made the soap or whatever it is that they're making, you are supporting them and saying, I value your time and what you are putting into this product that is special to me. So please, please consider supporting people who are working hard out of their homes or juggling kids and the expectations of the world so they can do something marvelous for you. So please consider how you vote with your dollars and support the local entrepreneurs in your community, whatever it is they sell. Because I think that the trend of big box, mega corporations is actually losing its luster. Small independent businesses just might be old school thinking, retro, whatever you want to call it, but I also think it's the wave of the future. 
Thank you for all of you who are jumping on board, supporting local in your communities, and making our jobs possible. So, whether you run a small business, or you want to run a small business, or if you just prefer to support local by purchasing from a small business, I believe we should aim to be relevant, be generous, and be unforgettable. Until next time, happy reading! Today's chapter of the Book Truck Chronicles has been brought to you by anyone who has chosen to buy that soap, coffee, quilt, jam, wood sign, or book from a market. We salute you.